Good. Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. It was some rain last night, wasn't it? Well, we're looking at uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. And I want to read them um, in the NASV version and then in the Amplified version. But before I do, I, I get a, a number of newsletters or articles every week from a friend down under. And uh, let me just preface some remarks with what he says, just the first few lines of uh, what I got this week. Galatians 1, 1 to 5, Paul says, The grace which has come to us, which grace Jesus gave himself for our sins, so that he might deliver us from this present evil age. But many Christians today seem to imagine that their Bible reads differently, saying, He gave himself for our sins, so that we might be successful in this world at everything we do, or who gave himself for our sins that we might fulfill all of our bucket list, or who gave himself for our sins so that we might never feel guilty about our unbiblical lifestyle choices. The Apostle's doctrine was be saved from this perverse generation. And so it goes on. Anyway, First John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. The one who abides in him, um, no one who abides in him sins, no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Well, some pretty powerful words there, right? I mean, what do they really really mean? Let me just read the Amplified Version of the same passage. Everyone who commits practices sin is guilty of lawlessness, for that is what sin is, lawlessness, the breaking, violating of God's law by transgression or neglect, being unrestrained and unregulated by his commands and his will. You know that he appeared in visible form and became man to take away upon himself sins, and in him there is no sin, essentially and forever. No one who abides in him, who lives and remains in communion with him and obedience to him, deliberately and knowingly, habitually commits practices sin. No one who habitually sins has either seen or known him, recognized, perceived or understood him, or has had an experimental acquaintance with him. Boys, lads, let no one deceive you and lead you astray. He who practices righteousness, who is upright, conforming to the divine will and purpose, thought and action, living a consistently conscientious life, is righteous even as he is righteous. But he who commits sin, who practices evil doing, is of the devil, takes his character from the evil one, 
for the devil has sinned, has violated the divine law from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was made manifest, visible, was to undo, destroy, loosen and dissolve the works the devil has done. Gives a little bit more understanding, doesn't it? But still, what do all these verses mean? Um, verse 4 talks about uh, sin is lawlessness. Well, I think we understand that. Uh, Jesus came to take away sin. Well, we understand that. Uh, no one who abides in him sins. Verse 6. No one who has who sins has seen him or know, knows him. Well, in First John it talks about we have um, we have an appeaser. We we have an advocate if we sin. So obviously God anticipates that we will continue to sin. Although it's sort of saying here, if we abide in Him, we don't sin. But what does it really mean to abide? You ever thought about that? <laughs> he who practices righteousness is righteous. Verse seven. Uh, who, he who practices sin is of the devil, and no one born of God practices sin. Uh, he cannot sin because he is born of God. I mean, whatever does that mean? I'm asking these questions, and probably you're asking them too. And verse 10, not of God, uh, who does not practice righteousness, who does not love his brother. So uh, let's look at some key words here. Uh, practice. Practice, you know what it means, but to carry out or perform a particular activity, method or action habitually or regularly. So I find these words from the Amplified Version to be helpful. Um, talking about for, uh, verse 6, for, for instance, no one who abides in him, who lives and remains in communion with him in obedience to him, deliberately and knowingly, habitually commits or practices sins. And then the word lawless, we know as well, not governed or obedient to laws. So the question is, are we as believers, are we practicing sin? Um, we can slip into sin, we can sin and we all do, but thank God for the blood of Jesus that we've been singing of, that we can just uh, confess and repent and that precious blood um, washes us clean at that moment of time. I, I want to add two words that aren't in this passage, but one is the word conditional. It means subject to one or more conditions or requirements being met, granted or on certain terms made or granted on certain terms. And then the next word is unconditional. And unconditional means not subject to any conditions, without conditions or limitations. Now I've noticed over the last few decades, and for some of you that's in the last few decades, you can't say that so much, um, that, that word unconditional love has come up again and again and again. Uh, God's a God of unconditional love. But personally, I don't use that term. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I don't use it. Because of, uh, to me, the abuse of that, 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 that statement. Uh, there are apostate ministers who talk about God's unconditional love. There are people in all spectrums of sexual sin who talk about God's un unconditional love. Well, God's love is absolutely amazing. Uh, why would God love us? Why would he love the world? It's just almost unbelievable, isn't it, that he would come down, take upon himself a human form and walk amongst us. 
um, whatever way you want to describe it, God's love is just absolutely incredible. But, 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 if we are to partake of God's love, there are conditions. If we are to partake of God's love, there are conditions. Let's read some of the statements that Jesus made. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, and the Greek means to utterly deny, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will then repay every man according to his deeds. So if we, Jesus, if you want to come after me, deny yourself. Utterly deny yourself. In other words, Jesus has to be first. He needs to be Lord. We need to take up our cross, which we know was an instrument of execution, death, death to self, death to sin, death to this present evil world. And Jesus said, follow me, follow me, follow me. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. Um, some years back our oldest son put a path through the bush at the end of our property so the children could get the school bus without going on the main highway. So it would be safer. And Shirley was with our Kyle one day going down there a few years back and commented on this was a narrow way and was using it as a teaching opportunity that the way of following Jesus is a narrow way. Of course, there's the narrow path. And what did Kyle say? He said, yeah, he said, I think it's narrower than this. This, this natural path, God's way is narrower than this. And uh, a child speaking truth. Destruction. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. It's not speaking of annihilation. In the Greek, that word means ruin or loss. Ruin or loss. Physical, spiritual or eternal. So most people, Jesus said, are on the broad road that leads to eternal loss. There's a narrow road where Jesus is first in our lives, where he's Lord in our lives, and not so many people are on that road. Matthew 2. Uh, Matthew. Oh, I put Matthew 2 here. I think it's Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's a challenging passage for me 
mean the word never, according to Strong's Concordance, means not even at any time. That is never at all. Neither at any time. Never. Nothing at any time. And yet it's speaking here of, of people that were prophesying and healing and casting out demons and Jesus is saying, many will say to me on that day, I did this and I did that, and he will say, I never knew you. But then it goes on to talk about the wise man and the foolish man. Well, I think the issue here is obedience. Therefore, any man who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. So Jesus was talking about hearing and obeying, hearing and disobeying. And as I understand this passage, and if you have any further insights, please tell me. Jesus was saying, I never knew you at any time when and while you walked in rebellion, when and while you rejected and neglected my words. I mean, that's the way I understand it. And if you have any insights, please let me know. Um, I've been around long enough, and so has Shirley too, many of you as well, to see many things, to witness many things, to have heard of many things that happen in Christian life, even amongst Christian leaders. And we know that people can start well, but God wants us to continue well and complete the race well. So very, very important. So, preaching of repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. In Luke chapter 3, verse 3, he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and then verse 8, he challenged the people to bear fruits in keeping with the repentance. Repentance, so very, very important. Jesus, Luke chapter 5, 31 and 32. It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Speaking of a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Now, the disciples Mark chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, they went out and preached that men should repent and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, he commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach repentance to all the nations. And often this is a missing ingredient in our evangelism. We talk about Jesus as Savior, but not Jesus as Lord. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 to 4. Paul said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. 
And then verse uh, 13 and 14 talks about those propagating this teaching. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The authorized version simply says, another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. Another Jesus, who is not the biblical Jesus, Another spirit, who is not the Holy Spirit. Another gospel, which is not the biblical gospel. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus as Lord. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. I was in Victoria last weekend and took a number of meetings and the first meeting I spoke on was Israel's golden calf. Never spoken of that before, but just felt to do it. And I want to make a few comments from that particular message of last weekend. Uh, In Exodus 32, verse 1, the people, when they were tired of waiting for Moses to come down from the mountain, Come, make us a God, Aaron, who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And then, you know what Aaron did? He gathered gold and they fashioned a golden calf. And then he said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, in the message, I talk about what happened before that. I mean, the incredible miracles of God showing his power in Egypt and rescuing the people and uh, the opening up of the Red Sea and and the quails and the the manna, just amazing things, but how quickly the people turned in their hearts from serving the living God to fashion a golden calf that they called Yahweh. This was the one that delivered them. Now, we get a magazine, and I want to read some stories snippets from this magazine on an article by a pastor from Florida called John Bevere. Anyone heard of John Bevere? He's written a number of books. He's apparently very, very, very influential. So I'm just going to read a few little quotations and then I want to read a very interesting story that he has in this article. Israel demanded Aaron make a familiar God, someone within the confines of their control and comprehension. Aaron eventually succumbed to their demands and fashioned the golden calf, calling it Yahweh, the holy name reserved for Israel's God. That's Exodus 32, verse 4. Uh, Like Israel, are we worshipping a different or false God? A God molded by the pride of our hearts and the desires of our flesh. Uh, Have we attempted to tame God's holiness by running from teachings that confront sin and the idols of our hearts? Deception and idolatry are still very much alive today and there's no question that deception has corrupted our pure devotion to Jesus. Paul made it clear that this deception comes through preaching a counterfeit Jesus and gospel which many believers have accepted and tolerated. And then he goes on to talk about false messiahs. So I'll just read a, take a few statements here and there. Uh, to preach another Jesus is to preach an incorrect version of him, a different Jesus than the one depicted in the Bible. In the present times we create Jesus who will give us whatever our passions desire, much like Aaron did for Israel. 
Anytime Jesus is depicted as just Savior and not Lord, we are presenting a Jesus that offers salvation on our terms. This means we believe we can have the benefits of his salvation without relinquishing our lives to him. Pretty interesting, powerful stuff, isn't it? I mean, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible clearly commands that we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. When we make Jesus Lord, he becomes our Savior as well. Uh, Jesus as Savior emphasizes forgiveness of sins and redemption. Jesus as Lord translates to a complete reorientation of one's life. And that is why so many unbelievers come to Jesus just for what he can do for them. Jesus becomes another just um, Jesus becomes another means to an end rather than the end of all means. Throughout the New Testament, our relationship to Jesus is compared to a marriage. The church is the bride, Jesus is the bridegroom. And just like any good husband, Jesus desires our full commitment and faithfulness. Now, let me just read a particular story and a little more uh, from this article in August, I believe. Yes, August 2018 from this magazine. Consider this scenario. One evening, Justin returns home from work and finds Angela, his wife, all made up and slipping into a beautiful outfit. He concludes she must have planned something special for them and offers to get dressed up as well. Angela, a bit confused, responds, Oh honey, I'm going out with Tony tonight. We're going to get dinner, catch a movie and check into a hotel. I should be back by mid-morning. Who's Tony? Justin fires back. He's my boyfriend from high school, she replies. What? You can't go out with him. Why not? Because we are married. We are committed to each other. We don't date other people. He says, stating um, what he assumes should be obvious. Hold on, honey, Angela replies. You are my favorite. I love you more than any of my old boyfriends, but you really can't expect me not to see them any longer. I've been close with some of them for years. I still love them and I want to enjoy time with them. What's wrong with that? Obviously, this scenario seems ridiculous. It's hard to imagine someone not understanding that marriage means an exclusive relationship. Certainly none of us would marry someone like Angela who expected to continue dating old boyfriends. Yet this is how many Christians treat their relationship with Jesus. When we fail to communicate the important aspect of Jesus' lordship, it produces a bride that is an adulteress, a bride who doesn't understand the beauty of devoted intimacy. Uh, with the counterfeit Jesus comes a different gospel. Paul solemnly warned, and this is um, Galatians 1, 6-9, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not a gospel, but there are some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Although if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than the one you have received, let him be accursed. A counterfeit gospel twists the truth concerning Christ. This false gospel emphasizes salvation without the need for repentance. But without repentance, we cannot experience the life that God has for us. Repentance is a necessary and foundational part of life in Christ. 
It is the decision to receive Jesus as Lord, turning away from living our own way. Repentance means changing our mind so deeply that it changes our personalities from the inside out. And with repentance comes the ability to see God as he truly is. And so the article goes on. Um, this false gospel depicts a Jesus who overlooks and tolerates willful sin. But Jesus' love for us compels him to give us the grace to rise above sin's smallness. Yes, Jesus wants to come us to come to him as we are, but he doesn't want to leave us as we are. His grace not only covers our sins, it also empowers us to live free from sin. And then he goes on uh, quoting some other scriptures. Let me just read those verses in First John again. And uh, then I've, I want to read one, one page from, what's that book you had today? The Book of Mysteries. Okay, okay. Because I think it would help us just a little. It helps me to understand um, a particular biblical concept. So First John chapter 3. Let me just get the amplified version. Everyone who commits practices sin is guilty of lawlessness. For that is what sin is, lawlessness. The breaking, violating of God's law by transgression or neglect, being unrestrained or unregulated by his commands and his will. You know that he appeared in visible form and became man to take away upon himself sins, and in him there is no sin essentially and forever. No one who abides in him, who lives and remains in union with him in obedience to him, deliberately and knowingly, habitually commits practices sin. No one who habitually sins has either seen or known him, recognized, perceived or understood him, or has had an experimental acquaintance with him. Boys, lads, let no one deceive you and lead you astray. He who practices righteousness, who is upright, conforming to the divine will and purpose, thought and action, living a consistently conscientious life, is righteous, even as he is righteous. But he who commits sin, who practices evil doing, is of the devil, takes his character from the evil one, for the devil has sinned, has violated the divine law from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was made manifest, visible, was to undo, destroy, loosen and dissolve the works the devil has done. This is um, from day 1 to 7 in the Book of Mysteries. Now I realize we've been talking from the New Testament this morning, but this gives us an understanding of the Hebrew mindset, the Old Testament scriptures and the Hebrew mindset. And it's entitled, The Days of Future Past. The Days of Future Past. Timeless, said the teacher, the sacred tongue is timeless. Uh, you mean timeless and that it doesn't change, I asked, or timeless and that it's eternal? I mean timeless and that it knows no time. What do you mean? In the original Hebrew scripture, that which happens knows no time. But the Bible speaks of time all the time, of days and years. Yes, but in the Hebrew language, it has no absolute tense concerning time. How can a language have no past, present or future? It has other tenses, he said, tenses that are used and understood or taken to mean the past, present and future. But the truth is these other tenses have no absolute relation to when they occur. In fact, at times, the scriptures speak of future events as if they've already taken place. 
the future past. So what are the tenses? The perfect and the imperfect. The perfect tense speaks of an action that's finished and thus complete, perfect. The imperfect tense speaks of an action that's unfinished and thus incomplete, imperfect. So in Hebrew you only have two choices to live in the perfect or in the imperfect. If you live always striving to finish that which is unfinished, to complete that which is incomplete, if you live trying to be saved, trying to be loved, to be good enough, worthy, complete, then you're living in the imperfect tense and you're living in the imperfect. And living in the imperfect tense never works because that which comes out of incompletion can never be anything other than incomplete. Then how do you live in the perfect tense? To live in the perfect tense, you must learn the secret of living from that which is already completed. To do from that which is already done. To triumph from a victory already won. But what is it that is already accomplished, complete, finished and perfect? <coughs> the work of God, he said, salvation. The completed work of Messiah. It is finished, I said. Yes, for that which is perfect is that which is finished. <coughs> salvation is a perfect work in the days of future past. And the mission, live this day in the Hebrew perfect, do all things from his finished work, triumph from the victory already won, live from the completion. Now, I kind of like that. That sort of just gives me a biblical understanding. Uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Uh, everything has become new. But, but are we aware that we're fully complete yet? Actually? Practically? Do we ever have to say, Lord, please forgive me? Anyone ever had to do that over the last year? Okay. When we understand the perfect and the imperfect, then we can get it. So we are to be declaring what the scriptures say. Lord, I thank you. I am complete in you. Thank you, Lord. I am a new creation in you. The old things have passed away. And as we stand upon what the word says, we are releasing the Holy Spirit to make that truth more and more a reality in our lives. Do we still sin? Yes, but yet God sees us righteous through Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the gift of righteousness today. Lord, I thank you that I am sanctified, I am holy this day. Whatever we may be going through or struggling, let's see what the Word says, say what the Word says, and live in the perfect tense. Lord, I thank you, I am holy, I stand holy before you today. The new creation, your, boy, your Word talks about. Um, I don't know, anything to add there, Cheryl? Not that I've given you any warning. Anything to add? You're full of wisdom. Giving you the gospel. Anything coming to your mind? Anything coming to anybody's mind about what I'm saying? The perfect, the imperfect? I think it's by faith. Let me faith makes a difference. It's believing that what God says is mine. It's, it's confessing by faith. That's the secret of this. Yeah, and that's what you do every day. Yeah. Every day, every day, every day, every day. <laughs> Saying what the Word says, by faith, by faith, by faith. So in our imperfection, thank you, we are perfect in Christ. I have a question. Also, have, have yes. to have a microphone. <laughs> oh, you have a microphone. <laughs> I was putting up my hand and then I realized I've got a microphone oh. right beside me. Yeah. <laughs> 
So my biggest struggle is that it all sounds good in theory. Okay, we're forgiven. <laughs> but how do we walk that out day to day when we're seeing the consequences of our past sin that we've repented of and we're seeing, you know, how, you know, our our poor choices have affected um, our family or... And so trying to walk in that freedom of I'm forgiven sounds really nice in theory, but in practice it feels so much harder because we're seeing those consequences and those consequences are coming from a gracious God who's allowing them to mold us. But I, I think I'm just struggling with how do we walk in freedom when we're still surrounded by the consequences and the regret and the guilt of our own sin? Okay. We've just been reading in the book of Second Samuel, is it uh, David and the consequences of his sin? You know, he reaped so much, didn't he, because of his poor with Bathsheba and so on. Uh, so there's that whole principle of sowing and reaping. What we sow, we reap, and we reap more than we sow. Um, but God forgave David for his sin with Bathsheba and her husband, killing her husband. And yet he had to reap the consequences of those actions. And we all face that. This is why it's so important that we're sowing the right seeds in the field of our life. Like every, as I've talked here before, um, we all have a field in which we're sowing every day. The field is bounded by the fence of time. Every day you and I are sowing seeds. And what we sow, we reap. We reap the same kind as we sow. We reap much more than we sow. So it's so important that we're sowing now for the future good seeds. But then we reap the consequences too of the wrong seeds of the past. But thank God um, <coughs> we can be forgiven for the wrong things of the past. And if we are um, facing the consequences, um, Lord, I need your grace, you know, and thank you for your grace, and thank you that I'm more than a conqueror through you. And again, we lay a hold of the word, these wonderful promises of God, and we confess them by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And as we do so, we find ourselves coming out of the old more and more into the new. Am I saying it well enough, Shirley? You got some thoughts here? Shirley's good at this stuff. Because <laughs> I hear her all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Here we are, sure. I guess it's talking about the future past. It's seeing the completed work of the cross and being able to speak out the word, knowing the Bible, reading the Bible. I memorize the Bible constantly. I'm in Hebrews at the moment, Hebrews 9. Just memorizing. I forget it the next week, and that's okay. But I memorize that I have to be able to say two or three verses at once before I turn the page <laughs> in my little notebook. But filling your mind with the word is amazing for your brain, and it's amazing for how it's, it's, it's like you're dwelling in his presence. We go for walks together, and I've got my little notebook with the scriptures written, and I'm saying them and saying them and saying them. It's helping my memory, but it's also helping me to be in a victory with God and a victory in my life through speaking the word. Mm. And you find yourself, I'm not striving, I'm just resting in that, that victory, even mm. though there's so much negative can happen with the children and with our, in our lives. But there's a, there's a victory constantly within me 
but I have to put into it every day. That's why the Lord's given us 24 hours. We need fresh. He says every morning, renew your heart. I think first thing in the morning, first thing is the best because you haven't got your things you've done already to think about. You know? mm. Okay, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Um, but there are things like you mentioned regret. Did you mention shame? I think shame, regret. These things can trouble us. But then again, I'm a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Lord, I thank you that shame has no place in my life anymore. Regret has no power over my mind anymore. And we can break free by the power of God from those things that would trouble our minds that would just put us down, down, down. It's warfare, but we learn to overcome. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we need to be living um, in the perfect tense, saying what the Word says. It's so important that we control the mind. I'm just reading a book. What's it called? I can't remember. (laughs) 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 I can't remember. No, I can remember. Um, It's by a doctor, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Leaf. Anyone heard of her? Talking about the brain. Switch on your brain, I think it says. I haven't read it yet myself. Yeah, switch on your brain. And she talks about the negative thoughts are toxic to your brain and it hinders your brain, hinders your memory, it hinders you. If you can bring every thought into captivity, keep the positive word of God in your heart, let offences go quickly, forgive quickly, walk over them because we can dwell on the negative and that's like toxic to your brain. Yeah. And yeah. it's quite amazing. And so, you know, you go through things and I think, will I dwell on that negative? That, that kid did that thing, will I dwell on that? No. Deal with it. Forgive and go on. And the, the, positive, the positive input of the Word of God really helps helps your life we've been recommended her books material I've not got into it yet I've got some other books I'm getting onto first but it's a doctor Caroline Leaf apparently she's on the on YouTube I think uh, Christian doctor who's helped many people she's taking biblical principles and speaking from a medical point of view what is actually happening in the brain it's just really really quite amazing yes I thanks for sharing what you had to share. And um, this, Graham and Shirley have been really helpful just in um, helping us through some things that we've been going through. And one thing that I tell my boys is you don't have to believe everything you think, right? Like, you can't choose the thoughts coming into your mind, but you can choose whether or not you let them make a nest on your house on your head, right? And like, you feed what? What you feed grows big, right? So I have just a meditation that I do every morning apart from reading the Bible. And one of the the, the big things that has been helpful for me is um, just, and I felt like I was supposed to bring it this morning. It's from Ephesians 6. 10 to 20, and it's it's just, um, it talks about putting on the armor of God every day. And so if anybody wants a copy, I brought extra. And um, it's just helpful. I just think, gosh, like soldiers get up, we're in a battle, right? 
and are we prepared? Like, do we know our enemy? Do we realize we're not wrestling against flesh and blood? Like, it's not our spouse, it's not our kids, it's not the school system, it's not our friends, it's not like we're in a spiritual battle. And are we prepared to enter in? Are we putting on the armor of God every day? Um, are we resisting those lies of the enemy? Are we replacing them with the truth of the gospel, the word of God? Um, yeah, so this, if anybody wants a copy, I, I brought one. Um, but thank you for sharing that. But yeah, we're in control of our minds and what we think and have to be living in a life of submission, and that's all areas, including our minds, right? Hmm. So. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Could I, I don't want to go too long here, could I um, <coughs> just make one addition? We were recommended to either forget a book or watch a movie called Connections. Anyone seen that? Connections? You've seen it? Okay. <coughs> Have you heard of Kirk Cameron, the Christian movie star? Okay. He's starred in a number of films and I think it's... Um, Cam Fam or something is this. He must have an organisation. He's put out this movie um, and we watched it the other night, two nights ago. Connections. It's excellent. Every one of you need to get it. And particularly if you have children, whether they be small, whether they be teenagers, whether they've grown up, you've got to see it. It's all to do with the media. It's all to do with the screen time. Uh, it is really helpful. He's, he, he's saying, you know, that we're living in, in a day where adults, parents, have never walked before and where young people have never walked before. This whole thing to do with the media, access to so much information through a cell phone in our hands, you know. So you can, all of us can relate to what he talks about. And he, it's, it's a documentary, but it's a movie too. It's really, really, really interesting. So I want to encourage you to get a hold of that movie called Connections where by Kurt, Kirk, Kirk Cameron, that Christian movie star. And uh, Netflix, it's on Netflix. Uh, you can just tune to that and get it through Netflix. But it's worth seeing. And please recommend it to others because we're all facing this. We're facing it with, with our, our boy Kyle. I mean, we're facing it big time. Um, all the pressures. Anyway, connections. I have a question. Um, how do you spell the last name of what? Carolyn? Carolyn Leaf. L-E-A-F. Leaf. Okay. Leaf, yeah. yeah. Okay. Think of the fall. I thought I thought said Leaf. L-E-I-P-H. <laughs> no, it's Leaf. Okay. It's a, it seems a strange Thank name. <laughs> She's on YouTube. I went. I went on YouTube and just put Dr. Carolyn Lee, and she came right up and she's talking. It's very yeah. So I've not seen her on YouTube, but um, and I haven't read this book that Shirley's looking at. But I'm interested in reading it because, from a medical point of view, understanding what's happening in the brain, we know what the scriptures say, but it's just backing up what the scriptures say. It's very, very good. Anyway, do I finish speaking here or? Okay, Lauren. Um, oh, Leslie. Yeah. 
It's a challenge, what I've shared this morning, it's a challenge to me, it's a challenge to you, that are we walking down the gospel or are we talking of Jesus as Lord and Saviour? Only when he's Lord, truly, can he be our Saviour. Thank you, Leslie.